Maybe you remember that uh, ad that was on television here a few years back. It's pretty amazing to see what uh, some good makeup artists and hairstylists can do to change someone's appearance. And then when you take that and you go to Photoshop, it really changes it. And, uh, and we're, we're pretty impressed by that kind of transformation that we see in someone. But there's, a, there's a, a different kind of transformation that's even more impressive. I mean, we have television shows, it seems like they're endless these days, of all kinds of makeovers. There was the uh, original extreme makeover. There was the, the plastic surgery makeover. And then there's the extreme makeover home edition, and the extreme makeover decorators edition, and on and on they go. And every daytime show has uh, one of their, their favorite things is the, the makeover segment that they do. <clears throat> we, we really, really like to see people radically changed. But there's, a, there's something a lot more radical in the transformation than anything you're going to see on television shows. It's, it's not a change outside. Did you hear about the the Buddhist monk who went up to the hot dog vendor on the street and asked for a hot dog with with all everything on it? Gave it to him, gave him $20 bills and waited for his change and the hot dog vendor just kind of ignored him. He said, where's my change? He said, look, of all people you should know change must come from within. (laughs) Well, we can see change on the outside but it's the change that comes from the inside that really matters. And we're going to see an incredible story of that as we go through the book of Acts. And we're in chapter 9 today. I hope you brought your Bibles with you. Take your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And we're in chapter 9. Now, the person that we're going to encounter here, we've, we've seen before. We, we've seen him back in, in chapter, uh, chapter 7 where the, the Christians were being persecuted. Stephen was the first person to lose his life. And this guy was there. He was on the scene kind of giving his approval to what was going on. That was right there in Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus had told his followers before he went back to heaven, he said, you're going to be my witnesses. I'm going to give you the power to do this, and you'll be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and then in Judea and then in Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. Well, last week, but until last week, we had pretty much seen it just there in Jerusalem and Judea. But last week, we saw Philip go down into Samaria with the good news about Jesus. And then he went and talked to the guy that was from Ethiopia, which was the very beginning of it going to the ends of the earth. Well, <clears throat> today, we're going to see this, this guy that was there, Saul, in, in chapter 7. He was also mentioned briefly in chapter 8. Verse 3 says, Saul was also trying to destroy the church, going from house to house, dragging out men and women and putting them in jail. Now, here in chapter 9, we're going to see Saul again, a lot more extensive story of Saul. And this time, we're going to see him experience something that not only is going to change his view of the people who are following Jesus, but it's going to change his life forever. In fact, it will in some ways, changes the the course of human history because of the way God is going to use Saul. Look at at verse 1. 
Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city. You'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Folks, God knows how to get your attention if he wants to, and he sure did that with Saul. Jesus makes contact with Saul as he is making his way to Damascus to wreak more havoc among the followers of Jesus. There's this bright light, this blinding light that knocks Saul off of his high horse. I don't know if he was on a horse or not, but he definitely got knocked off of his high horse this day. He's he's face down in the ground. He can't see anything. All he can do pretty much is listen. Jesus speaks to him. Why are you doing this to me? Why are you persecuting me? Jesus asks him. And he doesn't have a clue who this is. So all he can do is manage a meager, okay, who are you? And Jesus tells him, Jesus. Can you imagine how he must have felt hearing that? The one that he has hated, the people who are following him, who his, his objective, his goal, his focus in life was to destroy these people. Suddenly, he finds out that instead of defending God's plan, as he thought he was doing, he's been working against God's plan all this time. I think it's fair to say that Saul had a major, major revelation here. It's ironic that his physical blindness coincides with being able to see spiritually for the first time. Now, at the same time that all that's going on outside of the city, God is working on someone else inside the city. Look at verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now, we read things like that, and, and sometimes we just kind of want to breeze on by it. We, we don't think all that much about it. Unfortunately, we, we've become accustomed to reading things in the Bible where God reached out and spoke to someone or revealed his will to somebody, and they just get up and they do it and everything. And because of that, 
We sometimes don't give this the significance that it really deserves. Because when we understand what's going on here, this is a, this is a challenge for Ananias like few, few of us have ever faced. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of like, it, like when you, uh, you record your favorite uh, team in a football game or a basketball game or whatever, and you're going to watch it later. But before you get to go home and watch it, somebody tells you who won. Now, you, if your team won, you may still want to go home and watch the game, but, but it's not going to have the same kind of intensity. It's not just going to, going to grip you, and you're just going to be really hoping and pulling and rooting for them because you know how it came out. Well, we know how this came out. We've read the rest of the story. We know it's going to be okay, but Ananias didn't have a clue. He didn't know that at all. You see, the bottom line is what God is asking him to do is go to a terrorist. Saul was a terrorist. His his primary goal in life was to do whatever was necessary, whatever he could to strike terror, to strike fear into the hearts of people who were followers of Jesus Christ and to do it so forcefully, so viciously that that they would be afraid to maintain their belief system and they would change that and their way of living. They would, they would just start acting in an entirely different way. That's what a terrorist is. And that's exactly what Saul was doing. Saul wanted to eradicate Christianity and anyone who claimed to be a follower of Jesus from the face of the earth. And Ananias was one of the people in Saul's crosshairs. Oh, and he was very good at what he did. I'm not sure we fully understand the significance of this. There's a movie just came out. It's in theaters now. This, this weekend was the first weekend for it. It's called Zero Dark Thirty. I don't know if you've heard of it. Maybe you've seen it. It's a depiction of what happened when Osama bin Laden was uh, when the, the, the effort was made, the military uh, strike was done to capture him. I, the, the Navy SEALs and this, this, this military team with surgical precision went in after they had, after they had determined he was in a bada bed in that, that compound. And they went in almost all the way through uh, the, the, the country that he was in. And they, and they landed and they tried to apprehend him, and he wound up being killed in the process. And it's, it's amazing the efforts this country went through. Almost 10 years later, it was in May of 2011, that this happened because we knew this was someone who was the ringleader of an effort to destroy our way of life, to wreak destruction and death and devastation into this nation And he wasn't going to stop as long as he was alive. Folks, that's an amazing thing to confront. Maybe maybe you remember where you were that, that evening when you heard the news that bin Laden had been killed. Or maybe you recall the president coming on national television and announcing, what's this clip as he as he describes that that evening? Good evening. Tonight, 
I can report to the American people and to the world that the United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden, the leader of al-Qaeda, and a terrorist who's responsible for the murder of thousands of innocent men, women, and children. It was nearly 10 years ago that a bright September day was darkened by the worst attack on the American people in our history. The images of 9-11 are seared into our national memory. Hijacked planes cutting through a cloudless September sky, the Twin Towers collapsing to the ground, black smoke billowing up from the Pentagon, the wreckage of Flight 93 in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, where the actions of heroic citizens saved even more heartbreak and destruction. And yet we know that the worst images are those that were unseen to the world. The empty seat at the dinner table, children who were forced to grow up without their mother or their father, parents who would never know the feeling of their child's embrace. Nearly 3,000 citizens taken from us, leaving a gaping hole in our hearts. The horrible things that were done at the direction of Osama bin Laden is about the closest thing that we can relate to, to experience what the Christians in the first century were experiencing at the hands of Saul, the utter devastation. Now, think back two, three years ago. Nobody knew where bin Laden was. And someone came to you privately and said, he's going to be in this city when you're there. And I want you to go to him all alone, no protection, nobody else with you. You go to him and you tell him about Jesus and God's will for his life. How would you have reacted? That's essentially what God was calling Ananias to do. The guy that wanted nothing but to kill and destroy people who were followers of Jesus. God said, go talk to him. I think I would have reacted the same way Ananias did. Look at verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. God, can we talk about this just for a minute? I mean, do you realize you want me to sign my own death warrant here? I mean, this is right up there with, with Daniel in the fiery furnace and the three, or the three men in the fiery furnace or Daniel in the lion's den. Ananias doesn't see any hope if he goes there. But God knows what he's doing. Look at verse 15. The Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel, and I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. Understandably, Ananias is a little bit reluctant. This doesn't seem like a good plan. God says, no, you don't understand, Ananias. 
this guy that strikes terror in your heart just hearing his name. This, this person is, who is the last person in the world you want to go to. He's somebody I have chosen specially to accomplish some amazing things. You're not going to believe what I'm going to do through him and through his life. And I want you to go to him so that he can learn of me. Yeah, he's, he's dished out a lot of suffering and hurt and sorrow. He's going to kind of receive some of what he's been dishing out, but he's going to do it for the same reason that people are receiving it that he's been after. He's going to do it for the name of Jesus. <clears throat> you see, what God is saying is, Ananias, I understand how you see him right now. Nobody could blame you for that. That you see him as the last person on earth you really want to go and sit down and talk to. You see him as somebody that there is no possible way he is ever going to become a follower of Jesus. But Ananias, what you don't understand is you can't see through my eyes. And I want you to learn to do that. I want you to learn to see the value in this guy that I see. I want you to learn to see the potential in him that I know is there. I want you to learn to see him through the eyes of grace that I give him. And Ananias goes, and it's amazing what God does. You know, I, I think what God wants to do in our lives today, what he did then in Ananias' life, I think he wants to do in your life, in my life today. He wants us to learn to start seeing people through his eyes when we want to see them in every other way. What do you see when you look at people that don't know Christ? I mean, I mean, how do you look at those people? When you, when you see someone on the street corner loitering, milling around in weird clothes, maybe they're dressed goth or something and they're shouting obscenities at people passing by, cursing, what do you see? You see somebody who's a rebel and a renegade and, and, and will never really be interested in spiritual things? Or do you see somebody Jesus loved enough to die for? What do you see when you look at someone who's, whose marriage is just coming apart at the seams? A husband or a wife who is going through incredible heartache. Because, yeah, because their priorities are totally misplaced and their, their attitudes about how to make a marriage is completely misguided. But what do you see? You see somebody who's getting what they deserve because they're just doing it all wrong? Or do you see someone who needs someone to come alongside them with the care and compassion of Jesus? What do you see when you see someone struggling with an addiction? Maybe it's alcohol or substance abuse or maybe it's some other addictive behavior that's just, just got, the, got a hold of them 
and it just, it just is consuming their life. You see somebody who is, who is hopeless, who, who is too far gone to ever really reach, or somebody who, who is in a prison they can't break out of and desperately needs the power of the Spirit of God to set them free. I really believe God is calling us today to do what he was calling Ananias to do then. See people through his eyes. Don't write them off as unreachable or impossible to help. They may be the very ones that God is going to use to do some amazing things. Russell Moore is a pastor. He and some of his friends uh, were visiting with the noted evangelical theologian, Dr. Carl F.H. Henry. And as they were talking, they kind of got to lamenting the state of the evangelical world today. And, and they asked him if, if he thought there was any hope for the next generation of evangelical Christians. Here's what he said. He said, of course there's hope for the next generation of evangelicals. But the leaders of the next generation might not be coming from the current evangelical establishment. They're probably still pagans. Who knew that Saul of Tarsus would, was, was to be the great apostle to the Gentiles? Who knew that God would raise up a C.S. Lewis or a Charles Colson? They were unbelievers who, once saved by the grace of God, were mighty warriors for the faith. As he reflected on that, Moore wrote in his own blog these words. He said, the next Jonathan Edwards may, might be the man driving in front of you with the Darwin fish bumper decal. The next Charles Wesley might be a misogynist, profanity-spewing hip-hop artist right now. The next Billy Graham might be passed out drunk in a fraternity house right now. The next Charles Spurgeon might be making posters for a gay pride march right now. The next Mother Teresa might be managing an abortion clinic right now. Brothers and sisters, anytime we look at anyone and say, you know, they're beyond They're beyond help. There is no way. They are so spiritually devoid of any kind of of spiritual awareness that there is no way they're ever going to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And whenever we do that, the truth is we're basically looking at them through our own eyes and we're considering what we might be able to do with them and in their lives instead of what God and his power can do. We're looking at them through fear instead of faith. Kim Shinjo was a trained killer. One January, he and 30 other commandos were sent on a mission by their government of North Korea. They very stealthily made their way through the the back country undercover into South Korea with a goal to assassinate the president of that country. They got to within a few hundred yards of that president when they were detected and a fierce firefight broke out. When it was over, 30-something South Korean soldiers had been killed and all but two of the 
commandos from North Korea had been killed. One escaped and one was captured, Kim Shinjo. As he was held in custody there, a very incredible thing happened. The, one of the generals who was the primary person responsible for Kim Shinjo in, in prison developed sort of a friendship with him. And his hard heart began to soften. Here's what he said later. He said, I was, I tried to kill the president. I was the enemy. But the South Korean people showed me sympathy and forgiveness. I was touched and moved. Eventually, this wasn't an immediate thing, but eventually, Kim Shin Jo's heart melted. And he realized where, he, where God was leading him. He began to work for the South Korean military. He married. He raised a family. And eventually he became a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Reflecting on the day of his arrest, he said this, On that day, Kim Shin Jo died and I was reborn. I got my second chance, and I'm so thankful for that. No one is beyond the power of God to reach them. But so often, like with Kim Shin Jo, and like with Saul of Tarsus, God uses someone to demonstrate the kind of kindness and acceptance and grace that they need to experience. In the same way, we today are called to extend the gift of acceptance to others so they will find their second chance by Jesus Christ. God unleashes tremendous power for good when we surprise the world by loving people who appear to be very unlovable or even our enemies when we surprise them by extending to them the kind of acceptance and grace and forgiveness that God has given to us. That's exactly what happened to Kim Shinjo. Like him, Saul became a preacher of the gospel. Look at the end of the story in verse 20. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. It's pretty incredible to see what happens when we trust God and are willing to accept people, isn't it? I think we need to ask ourselves a couple of questions today. First, we need to ask ourselves, who is our Saul? Who is the person that when you even think about being around them, much less reaching out to them, who is the person that just makes your skin crawl, 
just gives you the heebie-jeebies. Who is your Kim Shin Joe? Who is your Saul of Tarsus? Because God is calling you to reach out to them. Don't look at what you can do. Look at what God can do. And it can make all the difference in the world. Second question we need to ask ourselves. Who is our Ananias? Most of us have one. Most of us have experienced what it's like for someone in against all odds has decided that they're going to give us a second chance. They see somehow, they see within us a potential that God sees. They see value that God knows is there. Who's your Ananias? I know who mine is, without a doubt. It's Cindy, my wife. I know it's real easy to see my flaws. They're, they're pretty conspicuous and they're pretty, pretty abundant. But you should have met me when she met me. Because compared to what I was then, I'm the most kind, gentle, quiet, just tolerant, accepting person you can possibly imagine. You don't want to know what I used to be like. You really don't. But in spite of that, she extended to me acceptance and kindness and grace. When I deserve none of that. And she stood by me when I don't believe there's another person on this planet that would have done that. And without God putting her in my life, there is no way I would be who I am today or what I am today. And you know, she still does those things. Unfortunately, I give her way too many opportunities to be forgiving and accepting. Who's your Ananias? God places people in our lives that show, in spite of all evidence, in spite of every indication of what we should, how they should treat us, that show us they can get past that. May God give us the courage to see our Saul and to be an Ananias to that person. To step out in faith, not thinking that we can change somebody. All our job is to do is to love them and accept them and demonstrate to them what God has demonstrated to us. May God empower us to do that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us even when we are blind.